Hello. Hey, listeners. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome Uh, back to Don't Fuck With Ghosts, the podcast about all things haunted, spooky, and supernatural. We are your Blost sisters. I am Betsy. And I'm Greer. And we're coming at you today with another podcast. Single story episode. Yeah. Mini episode. I feel like this one's going to be a long one. Yeah, I was just about to say, I don't know that mini is the correct term for it. Yeah, it's a doozy. Well, I remember when we first started doing our mini, quote unquote, mini episodes, they were still each like an hour long. (laughs) (laughs) And this one's probably not going to be any exception. So, yeah, but but this is going to be a really good one. I'm very excited. I'm also excited. (sighs) Should we say what what you're talking about now or wait till after our little intro yeah i'm gonna be talking about witches but specifically the salem witch trials so there's a lot to unpack there <laughs> but i'm also going to be um delving into the haunted side of salem so we'll get a little bit back into ghosts which i'm super excited about um you know, we both know that salem's very very haunted it's one of the oldest cities in the u.s so mm-hmm. it's got um a sordid past to say the least <laughs> Um, but today we want to start off by reading a listener story from listener Abigail. Yeah. All right. Shall I get into it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. So from Abigail, she says, I have a story about a very dark experience I had while visiting family in Tennessee. I'm from the famously haunted city of Savannah, um, which I really want to go to. That's Greer speaking, not. Abigail. Um, and aside <laughs> from a disembodied voice in my in-law's house, I have never experienced anything else there. Well, the disembodied voice sounds like enough for me. Like yeah. I would hear a disembodied voice and be like, all right, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> That's enough. That's yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Okay. She says, my husband and I were driving with our one-year-old son from Savannah to Knoxville, Tennessee for a family get together on Easter weekend. We had to leave after he finished work that Friday. Eventually, we were driving at nighttime through the winding roads and thick woods of Tennessee. I initially felt creeped out since we were in the country at night driving through the woods. Other than the headlights of our car, it was dark, and strangely enough, our son kept crying. It was around 10 o'clock at night, and we were surprised that he wasn't just asleep in his car seat. We decided to pull into an empty parking lot of a small white church to see what was wrong. After checking him, we couldn't figure out what he was upset about. TMI, but my husband really had to pee. (laughs) Obviously, there was no public restroom around, so he went by the tree line while I waited in the car. I felt uneasy and kept looking around and behind me. Everybody pees. Again, that's me, not Abigail. (laughs) Um, We continued to drive to the hotel in Knoxville. It was a true by Hilton, a brand new modern hotel. We went straight to bed after tucking our son into his pack and play. I was also pregnant with our daughter at this time. Later in the night, I woke up and immediately looked to the end of the bed. This was odd since I usually simply turned to the bedside table to look at my phone and check the time. But I immediately sat up as if somebody made a noise that got my attention. (gasps) I was foggy-headed but surprised when I saw a shadowy figure of a man. The darkness of the figure was darker than the darkness of the room. It seemed to be walking around the bed before turning to face me after it noticed I was sitting up straight, staring at it. Oh, my God. I was trying to make sense of it and continued to stare. All of a sudden, I heard it growl and throw itself toward me. Um, what? As I felt the air and energy of it going over me, I threw myself back and yanked the covers over my head. I felt its energy go into the headboard of the bed, and I'm assuming through the wall. 
My heart was beating so fast and I was terrified. I pushed my husband and said his name a couple times, but I was afraid to try more to wake him up. He isn't really a believer in these kinds of things, and I figured he would tell me to go back to bed. I lay there for a minute or two trying to convince myself it was a dream before I gathered the courage to get out of bed and get my son. I didn't want him alone. I don't like to think about this thing walking around my son before I woke up. So I put him in the middle of the bed and surprisingly eventually fell back to sleep. My husband woke up an hour or so later, very ill. We think it was just food poisoning, but still creepy nonetheless. For a long time, I brushed this experience off and eventually forgot about it. It wasn't until I started watching Ghost Adventures for the first time. (laughs) Yes. And listening to paranormal podcasts like And That's Why We Drink, Two Girls, One Ghost, and Now Don't Fuck With Ghosts. Hi. (laughs) It wasn't until then that I realized the similarities of my experience. The first thing is shadow figures being darker than the darkness of the room. That is a very common description. Finally, I know this is real because of my immediate reaction to sit up and look. I've never had night terrors or anything like this. And also I couldn't feel, I could feel its hatred for me as it looked back. I'm talking pure hatred. Oh, then she goes, anyways, that's my story. (laughs) I love your podcast. Keep up the great work. Best Abigail. (laughs) Oh my God. Abigail. That is so scary. And the fact that it was a new hotel too. Like, why was that spirit in there? Why was it so menacing? Also your husband waking up sick is very suspicious to me. Yeah, I don't believe in coincidences. No, um, no, no, no. So this was in Savannah or Knoxville? This was in Knoxville. Okay, Knoxville. Traveling um, from Savannah to Knoxville. So gotcha. maybe something attached them to them. I need you to do some research on the location of this new hotel and see if it was like built upon some yeah, some nefarious location area that bad things happened at yeah. at one point in time. Because Yeah, you're oh right. Oh my God. Because like, is- it's one thing for... A hotel to be haunted by spirits that like died there previously, but mm-hmm. like shadow figures with like that much malevolent energy is like something yeah. bad happened there. That's really, really terrifying. Yeah. Um it also <clears throat> when she said like I knew this was real because I like sat up out of bed, that reminded me of like you describing when you saw the ghost of your grandma. Like yeah. you knew it was real because you were like wide awake yeah. as it was happening. And yeah. you're like, this can't be a yeah. dream. And I like couldn't look away too. Yeah. It was like I couldn't look away until she disappeared. And then I that's when I <laughs> buried myself under the covers. Yeah. Oh my god. That is so uh, terrifying. Um, I'm assuming by now, Abigail, that your daughter has been born. So Hopefully we're wishing you congratulations on that because she said she was pregnant with her daughter in this story. Yes. And she wrote this in um, a, a while ago. Yeah. Um, but thank you so much for sharing this with us. And we're really glad that you've added Don't Fuck With Ghosts to your list of paranormal podcasts. Um, and we're happy to have you as a listener. So thank you so much. This was really terrifying to, yes. to, to read. Yes, it was. But we appreciate it all the same because yeah. that's why we made this podcast. And exactly. <laughs> so thank you, Abigail, very thank much. Thank you. Um, and for all listeners, you can send your stories into us at DF. At dfwgpodcast at gmail.com. There you go. We'll say it again at the end of the episode. Oh, my God. All right. Well, we need to um, do an update on Sad Girl Book Club before we start my story. Mm-hmm. What are you reading? Well, I'm <laughs> I'm still reading the same goddamn book, uh. Spare, because it's so... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I wanted to like it, but it is boring as hell, but I need <laughs> to get through it. Um, 
because it's just like ugh, like I What's get it. What's happening like, now? I get it. Like he had a hard life, but like it's just like he complains every fucking page of the book, and I'm just like. Ugh. But anyway, <laughs> I feel like once it gets it's, to the the more recent William and Kate stuff, it'll be interesting. Yes, right? yes. Maybe? But he do, like we talked about with it <laughs> as well. But the way that Harry portrays him, Prince William was a big old whiner. He's a big old whiner. Yes, I would believe it. Um. Yeah, so it's just, like, reading about a lot of, like, problems that I can't relate to. So it's, like, yeah, it's just not... Yeah. (laughs) It's not as enjoyable as I would have liked, but um, I still think parts of it are interesting, and I'm excited to get... I'm, I'm like, about 100 pages away from being done-ish, so it's a long book. It's, like, 400-something pages, but... um, I'm, I'm closer to, I'm over halfway done, so I'll get there eventually, but I did buy some new books to read after you from mean? when I went to Barnes & Noble Tipsy the other weekend, <laughs> and so do you remember that book that um, I read last year that was called A Good Girl's Guide to Murder, and I told you it read like a Pretty Little Liars episode? Yes. Yeah, so apparently there's two more books in that series, like I thought Ooh. it was a one-off but no, it's nice. a whole series, and I found, I found them in Barnes Noble. Like, excuse me. So I'm gonna be reading those because Is that the they one were that really Anika good. Got you for yes, Christmas? Yeah, yeah. It's like a basically the first book was this girl reopening a cold case that she was gonna solve for like a class project, oh which God. was crazy. <laughs> um, but it was really good, and there's two sequels that I want to read. But I also bought a book that was full of ghost stories nice. that I took on my camping trip. Nice. Did you read it on your camping I trip? I read some of it, but not not a lot of it. I feel like I that think- would... I get, like, you know, doing it the the ambiance of being in the forest, yeah. but then in actual yeah. practice, I feel like it'd be terrifying. <laughs> yeah, I was pretty scared going to bed at night, and I hadn't even read the book much. <laughs> I was just scared of, like, being in Appalachia and of the Elder Tours, because I had worked myself up on that getting there. So, Wait, on the what? Elder Tours. Oh, That's Eldridge like Horrors. Eldridge okay. Horrors. I thought you said Elder Tours, and I was like, what? <laughs> What are yeah, all people I'm doing? Of the elders. <laughs> I mean, the visit really. Oh if, there, my if that woman was God. running around that forest, oh wee, yes, I'd be out of there. You like dirty diapers? Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, yeah, that's my that's my sad girl book club update. I want to start reading because I've been craving reading like mystery novels so like I think Mm. that's another reason why it's hard to get through the spare book right now just because it's like not what I want to be reading at the moment but I had already started and like I have this thing where it's like if I start something like a show or a movie or a book I have to finish it before I start something new Mm. I used to be able to read like three books at once and I don't know how I did that oh no I couldn't do that no me neither not anymore at least um, I am reading a book called Good Morning, spelled M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, and it's just like another grief book um, written by these two women who host a podcast called The Good Morning Podcast. They're Australian, and they both lost their moms like within three months of each other, like very instantly, and so wow. they, they met, I think they were, this was like only a few years ago, um, and they're maybe in their like early 30s late twenties, early thirties. And they met through like grief support and then they became like best friends and started this podcast. Um, so I'm reading their book and it's just about like 
you know, grief and mourning and, you know, all that stuff. So that's what I'm reading. And I think I said this last time, but I do want to read The Hobbit. Did I say that last mm-hmm. time? Yeah. yeah. So I still, that's still on my, like, I had, I just have been focusing mostly on grief books lately. So I've been mm-hmm. reading through all those, but I do want to start The Hobbit. Um, and then I got a few books when I was in um, the Northwest and I'm actually forgetting what they were all about, but I remember buying them and being like, oh, I want to read this. So I have other books to mm-hmm. read too, but then I have like a billion books at home that I want to read as well. So yeah. the and list just never ends. I don't know if you've heard of the glass. I think it's called the Glass Throne series. It's like super popular right now. Is that like the court of a court of thorns and yeah? Things? I think maybe, but it's a fa- it's like a fantasy series. And the first book apparently was written by the author when she was sixteen. Oh, um, and it's it's apparently really good. Both my friend Tenley told me about it, and then also Renee from Hakuul Podcast recommended it as a good. Um, Is it Throne of Glass? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's okay. That series. I um I think I recognize some of the book covers yeah. from like in- seeing them on Instagram or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think I definitely would write, like to read fantasy and like read about something that's not real life. Exactly. Because like I don't really <laughs> give a fuck about people's like fictional no. lives no, no, right no. now. So no. absolutely not. So <laughs> yeah, that's what that's my uh, sad girl book club update. Nice. All right. Well, if you guys have any book recommendations send them our way yeah actually that'd be great yeah (laughs) join the book club you don't have to be sad we (laughs) said that last time um but okay so i guess i will jump into my story now wait (laughs) i'm sorry i just i was looking at your titanic poster we can cut this out or we can leave it in no we're leaving it in I'm looking at the, your Titanic poster yeah. and I see Billy Zane yeah, yeah. in your poster. Yeah. And there's a scary movie that my dad always says that we should watch together. It's uh-huh. called Dead Calm. And Dead Calm? Dead Calm. It's from the, it's like old. I think it's from the 80s. And it has Nicole Kidman, someone else, and Billy Zane in it. Oh and my Billy God. Zane is like the bad guy. Yeah, he always is. And my dad's been telling me for years, he was like, you and Betsy need to watch this movie. And I always kind of like, like okay, okay, you know, whatever. And now I like, yeah, think we should watch it. Yeah, um, but that's I just looked at Billy Zane, and I was like, <laughs> wait, I never told you this because oh I watched, I like looked up the trailer. Yeah, um, uh, like the other week, and I was like, let me just finally see what this movie is about. And I watched it, and as I saw Billy Zane's fucking face pop up, <laughs> and the the premise is that they're on a they're stranded on a boat. They're on a boat. They're in the ocean. Oh, so my god. I was this like, like, oh some, this my sounds god, like some Titanic fanfic. I know or exactly. Something. So I was like, oh, oh my god, god. like. Betsy uh, would yeah. actually probably like like it's supposed to be really good. We it's should. like a young Nicole Kidman. So anyway, okay. I yeah, just no, we should that. definitely watch that. And speaking of scary movies, I think we talked about this the other day, but I keep getting ads for that yeah. new scary movie coming out called The Boogeyman, which is apparently a Stephen <gasps> yeah. King, um, and the Evil Dead Rises movie, which I guess is related to the original the Evil Dead movie movies. I don't I don't know. I haven't seen any of them, um, but it looked terrifying, and I would always scroll past the ad. Because it was that scary. I would see Boogeyman in theaters. Is it, do you know when it's coming out? No, I, I have no idea. <laughs> All right. Well, it has, <laughs> it has one of the girls from Yellow Jackets, which I just finished watching. Oh, in okay. It. So that'll be fun. Anyway. <laughs> that was our side rant about scary movies. <laughs> Billy Zane. Um, Billy Zane. He's a man of the water. <laughs> He's a merman. Also, does he ever, sorry, does he ever play like not an asshole? Well, did you see Pocahontas 2? No. <laughs> <laughs> he played John Rolfe. 
the animated character? Yes, he voiced him. How am I supposed to know that? You're not. This is what you have me for. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, but that's like the one like the- non-villain. I mean, he still was an asshole. Like John Rolfe was a big asshole. Yeah, and like everyone was assholes. like, "Why isn't she with John Smith?" Because they made them like love interests in the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's problematic. But you know what? It's it's fine. Um, okay. <laughs> okay. Anyway, I'll shut up now. <laughs> Let's talk about witches. Wait. <laughs> Okay. Oh my god! Oh god! We're we're um, jumping off the deep end now. Okay, um, I am going to be talking quickly a little bit about like just general background on witchcraft. Um, the term originated in medieval and early modern Europe, where it traditionally meant the use of magic or supernatural powers to harm others. And those accused during this time were believed to have used malevolent magic against their own community and often to have communed with evil beings. Suspected witches were intimidated, banished, attacked, or killed, and often they would be formally prosecuted and punished if found guilty or simply believed to be guilty. Yeah. (laughs) European witch hunts and witch trials in the early modern period led to tens of thousands of executions. The concept of witchcraft and the belief in its existence have persisted throughout recorded history. It has been found at various times and in many forms among cultures today. And in contemporary Western culture, followers of the neo-pagan religion Wicca and some followers of New Age belief systems may self-identify as quote-unquote witches and use the term witchcraft for their self-help, healing, or divination rituals, as in what I'm doing now. <laughs> I don't identify as a Wicca, per se, but I am using witch witchcraft-adjacent rituals <laughs> in my self-help journey. <laughs> um, and I also learned, like, with, like, witches, quote-unquote witches today, people that identify as witches, there's, like, a big divide. Not necessarily, not necessarily like, bad divide, but, like, people that kind of practice, like, folk magic versus ritual magic, which is very interesting. Like, folk magic is much more like, oh, you just, like, pray to the dirt and, like, you're very much, like, in tune with nature and, like, kind of use the spirit of nature in your mm-hmm. practices versus ritual magic, which is kind of what I've been doing with, like, like, it's very um, step-by-step kind yeah. of thing. Um, but, yeah. So, it's very... Obviously, there's been a huge shift in witchcraft and, like, its acceptance and its perception in society. But, obviously, as what I'm going to be talking about today, it was heavily feared and not accepted back in the day. And especially, like, even a lot of these women were not practicing witches. <laughs> um, so... It's what we like to call mass hysteria. <laughs> um, you might answer this later on, but were there ever women who were accused of witchcraft who, like, they finished their trials and they were found innocent? Did that ever happen? Um, there were people that were pardoned. Oh. so mm-hmm. they, But they weren't, like, considered innocent. They were, like... Um, I'll, I'll have okay, to go yeah. through my notes because I definitely have it in there. Um, I was just thinking about that. But, like, what like, stood out more to me was that people were pardoned, not necessarily found innocent. Um, yeah. Which is... Stupid, but anyway, <laughs> that's so horrifying. Um, so basically, the Salem witch trials were a series of hearings and prosecutions of people accused of witchcraft in colonial Massachusetts between February 1692 and May 1693. More than 200 people were accused, 30 people were found guilty, 19 of whom were executed by hanging, which consisted of 14 women and five men. 
And one wow. other one other man, Giles Corey, was pressed to death after refusing to enter a plea, and at least five people died in jail. What does pressed to death mean? I'll talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> Is this going to be like the torture museum that we went to in wherever that was? Um, Didn't we maybe. go to a torture museum? We've been to probably multiple. <laughs> we went to the one in the Tower of London. Is that, they I had think, the rack. Yeah. Yes. That's what I'm thinking of. Um, I don't know if they had an like a exhibit for pressing somebody to death, but hmm. that was like a medieval way of killing somebody, and also historically witches because they they do that as a punishment in um, the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Ew. Yeah. It was, it was weird. Anyway. <laughs> Arrests were made in numerous towns beyond Salem, notably Andover and Topsfield. The grand juries and trials were conducted by a court of Oyer and Terminer in 1692 and by a superior court of judicature. Don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. I don't know law. Anyway, in 1693, <laughs> both held in Salem Town, where the hangings also took place. And also, I'm going to be talking a lot about Salem Town versus Salem Village. Salem Town is modern-day Salem. Salem Village is modern-day Danvers. Remember okay. Danvers? Because I talked about Danvers <gasps> yes. State Hospital. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> it was the deadliest witch hunt in the history of colonial North America and its most notorious case of mass hysteria. Oh it was the colonial manifestation of a much broader phenomenon of witch trials in the early modern period, which took the lives of tens of thousands in Europe, as I previously mentioned. So it didn't just come out of the blue. Like, it was a continuation of what was happening in Europe already. So I thought that was interesting because yeah, I never really knew like how like th- it originated and like how the mass hysteria had spread. What is the year? This is 1690s. 1690s? 1692. I wonder when the witch um, trials happened in Edinburgh because I know they used to throw the witches into the, the lake and then if they floated, then they were witches and they would kill them. But if yeah. they sunk, then they weren't witches. But then yeah, they were so basically anyway. from what I read, it sounded like the witch hysteria in Europe lasted for a long time, like yeah. 1300s to 1600s. Oh, shit. That yeah. long? Yeah. That's not surprising. That's why I tens guess, of thousands of but... people died. Okay. Because when you said that however many people in the Salem witch trials died, I was like, that seems really yeah. low. Yeah. But I was thinking of like over the course of hundreds of years mm-hmm. versus one year yeah. in one town. Yeah. yeah. So in America... Salem's events have been used in political rhetoric and popular literature as a vivid cautionary tale about the dangers of isolation, religious extremism, false accusations, and lapses in due process, which kind of encapsulates what mass hysteria is. Mm-hmm. And it's really scary that it can happen really quickly. And Yeah. Yeah. Not to um, compare this to Halloween Kills, <laughs> <laughs> but if you've seen Halloween Kills, it kind of like... It kind of, like, brings to life what mass hysteria can do and, like, how it can turn a whole group of people against somebody really quickly. You remember? Wait, who were they against? Michael Myers? Well, they the, there was another person from the mental hospital that escaped, <gasps> oh. and they turned against him oh, and was, was like, so, he's the one doing all this. Oh, that was really awful. And, yeah. yeah. That's a good point that you made. Mm-hmm. That was really sad. It was really sad. Fuck, didn't he jump off the... Oops. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert, but yes, he, the, the person that they turned against died. And I can't remember if he was, I think he either jumped or he was pushed. I think, I think he jumped. jumped. Yeah. It was really that sad. sucked. Anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, but mass hysteria, it's really scary and it's really mm. dangerous. Um, many historians consider the lasting effects of the trials to have been highly influential in the history of the United States. According to historian George Lincoln Burr, quote, the Salem witchcraft was the rock on which the theocracy shattered. 
end quote. Wow. So let's get into the timeline a little bit and talk about how these events unfold unfolded. Um, in Salem Village, which, like I said, is present-day Danvers, in February 1692, Betty Paris, who was nine, and her cousin Abigail Williams, who was 11, the daughter and niece, respectively, of Reverend Samuel Paris, began to have fits described as, quote, beyond the power of epileptic fits or natural disease effect by John Hale, the minister of the nearby town of Beverly. The girls would scream, throw things about the room, uttered strange sounds, crawled under furniture, and contorted themselves into peculiar positions, according to the eyewitness account of Reverend Deodot Lawson, a former minister in Salem Village. Also, let me preface, a lot of the people that I'm going to be talking about in this story um, have really weird names, like <laughs> like names of the time, oh, puritanical, ne- puritanical names. names, names I've never seen um, <laughs> for another human before. Anyway, <laughs> um, the girls complained of being pinched and pricked with pins. A doctor historically assumed to be William Griggs could find no physical evidence of any ailment. To so me? they definitely had, well, that, they probably had neuropathy. They felt what, like, what's that? Neuropathy is like when you lose um, feeling or like sensation in your um, part of your like body. So like, you know, when you, your leg falls asleep and it feels mm-hmm. really fuzzy, yeah. it's like that, but it's constant. So they oh, probably wow. had like neuropathy somewhere where the nerves were just like yeah. fucked and they have felt pinpricks. Oh, wow. Oh my God. <sighs> yeah. Um, other young women in the village began to exhibit similar behaviors When Lawson preached as a guest in the Salem Village meeting house, he was interrupted several times by the outbursts of the afflicted, which is a term that they use for these women that were acting out of the ordinary. Oh, my God. This is really scary to think about. Yep. The first three people accused and arrested for allegedly afflicting Betty Paris, Abigail Williams, 12-year-old Ann Putnam Jr., and Elizabeth Hubbard were Sarah Good, Sarah Osborne, and Tichuba, who was an enslaved woman taken from Barbados by Samuel Paris. So she was a slave for the Paris family. Mm. Um, some historians believe that the accusations by Ann Putnam Jr. suggests that a family feud may have been a major cause of the witch trials. At the time, a vicious rivalry was underway between the Putnam and Porter families, one of which deeply polarized the people of Salem. Which, like, how terrible that, like, a family feud was causing people to like accuse others of witchcraft getting them like fucking killed and shit yeah but i guess like these small towns back then like they're they were run by their main families and that was Mm -hmm. god awful sarah good was a destitute woman accused of witchcraft because of her reputation at her trial she was accused of rejecting puritan ideals of self-control and discipline when she chose to torment and quote scorn children instead of leading them towards the path of salvation i just want to know like what does even any of that mean because it means that she was questioning the religion and you know disciplining children who are probably being naughty and got accused of being a witch for it (laughs) <laughs> so awful. It's just like, I can't believe this happened. I mean, I can, but I can't. Sarah Osborne rarely attended church meetings. She was accused of witchcraft because the Puritans believed that Osborne had her own self-interests in mind. Following her remarriage to an indentured servant, the citizens of the town disapproved of her trying to control her son's inheritance from her previous marriage. Oh, jeez. 
and Tichuba likely became a target because of her ethnic differences from most of the other villages. villagers. She was accused of attracting girls like Abigail Williams and Betty Paris with stories of enchantment from Malaeus Malficarum, or Malficarum which, best, which is the best-known written work purporting to be about witchcraft. Um, these tales about sexual encounters with demons swaying the minds of men and fortune-telling were said to stimulate the imaginations of girls and made Tichuba an obvious target of accusations. And unlike Good and Osborne, Tichuba actually confessed, saying, quote, the devil came to me and bid me serve him. She described elaborate images of black dogs, red cats, yellow birds, and a, quote, tall man with white hair who wanted her to sign his book. She admitted that she'd signed the book and claimed there were several other witches looking to destroy the Puritans. Many believed she had confessed seeking to save herself from certain conviction by mm. acting as an informer. And she was actually pardoned for I this. Was, I was thinking yes. the same exact thing. Yep, that's exactly. That's very smart of her if that's what she was yes. doing. However, her confession gave credence to the accusations, <gasps> only adding fuel to the mass hysteria fire. Oh, so yes, it did save her, but it yeah. added to this craziness that was going on. Yeah. Um, unfortunately. She is. I'm, <clears throat> I'm frankly surprised, especially if she was like a woman of color and an enslaved person that they didn't just use her as an example. Yeah. I'm like very surprised by that. Yeah. Each of these women was a kind of outcast and, it, and exhibited many of the character traits typically of the quote, usual suspects for witchcraft accusations. They were left to defend themselves. They were brought before the local magistrates of the complaint, uh, on the complaint of witchcraft, not even, like, charge, like a complaint. Like, that's how they worded it, which was very interesting. That is interesting. Um, they were interrogated for several days, starting on March 1st, 1692, then sent to jail. Oh, my God. All right. <laughs> With the seeds of paranoia planted, a stream of accusations followed. In March, others were accused of witchcraft. Martha Corey, Dorothy Good, who was four... Or five at the time. I think she was four. But she was four years old. Um, and Rebecca Nurse in Salem Village, as well as Rachel Clinton in nearby Ipswich. Martha Corey had expressed skepticism about the credibility of the girl's accusations and thus drew attention. The charges against her and Rebecca Nurse deeply troubled the community because Martha was a full member of the church in Salem Village, as was Rebecca in the church in Salem Town. If such upstanding people could be witches, the townspeople thought, then anybody could be a witch, and church membership was no protection from accusation. Jeez. Dorothy Good, who was the daughter of Sarah Good, even though she was only four, as I said, was not exempted from questioning by magistrates, and her answers were construed as a confession that implicated her mother. A four-year-old? Yeah, they're like, oh, the four-year-old! She said that her mom was doing strange things in the garden. That must mean she's a witch. But also, I feel like back then, these people didn't believe in, like, childhood. No, they like, didn't, but, they like... Didn't, I know, I... Yeah, but, yeah. like, they probably... Because they probably thought she was just a small adult. They didn't, like, oh understand God. what... Yeah, for, especially men. Four the, these like, days is, like, probably 12. <laughs> like, yeah, and probably. Like, and, the, and, like, the ratio to um, life expectancy. And especially if it's men who's questioning this girl. Like, the yeah. men who don't, fa like, father their own... Like, parent their own children. Like, they don't know what the fuck a four-year-old says or doesn't say. Because they're in the church all the time accusing women of being witches. Like, they don't know. Yeah. God. Ugh. Okay, and Ipswich, Rachel Clinton was arrested for witchcraft at the end of March on independent charges unrelated to the afflictions of the girls in Salem Village. The initial examinations included physical exams where the accused were examined for unique marks such as moles, 
that were commonly believed to be associated with the devil's influence. Oh, so if you had a mole, you were fucked. Yeah. It was thought that those markings represented the devil drinking the accused woman's blood. Like, who's coming up with this shit? I don't know. But, like, I feel like we also, not that this excuses anything that these fucked up men were doing, but we also do have to, like, put ourselves in the time. Like, we we have the benefit of hindsight and, yeah. like, so much more knowledge. But, like, back then, I'm sure... A lot of this panic felt very real to a lot oh, of these yeah. people. So, yeah. but like, I agree. We're well, like, why the, here's why would the thing, you think that? I think the people that were in charge, like the, I'll get into this, but like the, the people, like the judges themselves were cruel and were like yeah. inflicting this horror upon these people because they were different, yada, yada. But they were the in, ones influencing everybody else in the town and mm-hmm. fueling the fire of mass hysteria. So like to everybody else, it did feel real, but to the people in charge, they knew what they were doing. Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) Um, when Sarah Cloyce, who was Rebecca Nurse's sister, and Elizabeth Proctor, wife of John Proctor, do you know who that is? It sounds really familiar. The Crucible? (gasps) Oh my gosh. They were arrested in April, and they were brought before John Hawthorne and Jonathan Corwin at a meeting in Salem Town. Um, And so John... Jonathan Corwin and John Hawthorne, those, I'm pretty sure that those interrogations or, like, those trials were held in the witch house in Salem. Wow. Or at least that's where, that's where Jonathan Corwin lived. Is that the Um, house that's, like, painted all black? Yeah. That's crazy. Yep. The men were both local magistrates and also members of the governor's council. uh, Present for the examination were Deputy Governor Thomas Danforth and Assistant Samuel Sewell, Samuel Appleton, James Russell, and Isaac Addington. During the proceedings, objections by Elizabeth's husband, John Proctor, resulted in his arrest that day, and Elizabeth ended up being pardoned due to the fact that she was pregnant. Wow. Yeah. Imagine being pregnant saving your life back then. How ironic, right? (laughs) (laughs) But so this made me like rethink about the Crucible. So fun fact, our high school did the Crucible when we were sophomores in high school, Um, and I had no idea that it was a true story. I didn't either, and I actually don't really remember much about the story at all. Well, I remember, I thought that Abigail, they thought she was a witch because she was acting so crazy, but I guess that, so she was, I talked about Abigail Williams earlier, because she was in the Crucible too, and I guess she was one of the afflicted, quote unquote, Um, but I remember, so John Proctor ends up getting hanged at the gallows because um, I guess he was defending his wife or something. I don't know, but I, yeah, oof. I didn't. I had no idea that it was a real story. Anyhow, within a week, Giles Corey, who was Martha's husband and a member of the church in Salem Town, Abigail Hobbs, Bridget Bishop, Mary Warren, who was a servant in the Proctor household, um, and Deliverance Hobbs, who was the stepma- stepmother of Abigail Hobbs, were arrested and examined. Abigail Hobbs, Mary Warren, and Deliverance Hobbs all confessed and began naming additional people as accomplices, which this started happening more frequently because people were realizing that, oh, if I start naming people, I'm an informer and, like, mm-hmm. I'll be spared. Um, adding to the history again, it was just like a vicious cycle. Yeah. More arrests followed. Sarah Wilds, William Hobbs, who was the husband of Deliverance and father of Abigail, Nehemiah. <laughs> that sounds right. Sure. Nehemiah Abbott Jr., Mary Eastie, who was the sister of Cloyce and Rebecca Nurse, Edward Bishop Jr., and his wife, Sarah Bishop, and Mary English. (laughs) Sorry, there's a lot of names. I'm just trying to, you know, 
give them voice, I guess. On May 27th, 1692, Governor William Phipps ordered the establishment of a special court of Oyer and Terminer for Suffolk, Essex, and Middlesex counties. Presided over by judges, including John Hawthorne, Samuel Sewell, and William Stoughton, the first accused witch brought in front of the special court was Bridget Bishop, an older woman known for her gossipy habits and promiscuity. Oh, boy. <laughs> when asked if she committed witchcraft, Bishop responded, quote, I am as innocent as the child unborn. The defense must not have been convincing because she was found guilty and on June 10th became <laughs> oh, the first person gosh. hanged on what was later called Gallows Hill. Just a few days after the court was established, respected minister Cotton Mother wrote a letter imploring the court not to allow spectral evidence, which was testimony about dreams and visions. So people were literally convicting humans off of people saying, I had a dream or I had a vision that this person came and like was trying to do their witchcraft on me. The court largely ignored this request, sentencing the hangings of five people in July, five more in August, and eight in September. And on October 3rd, following in his son Cotton's footsteps, Increase Mothers. This is what I'm saying. Like, these Puritan names. His name was literally Increase. (laughs) (laughs) Increase Mother, then president of Harvard, denounced the use of spectral evidence, saying, quote, it it were better that ten suspected witches should escape than one innocent person be condemned. End quote. Phipps, in response to these pleas and his own wife's questioning as a suspected witch, prohibited further arrests and released many accused witches. He dissolved the court of Oyer and Terminer on October 29th, replacing it with a superior court of judicature, which disallowed spectral evidence and condemned just three out of 56 defendants. By May 1693, Phipps had pardoned all the imprisoned on witchcraft charges, but the damage was already done. 19 men and women, well, 14 women and 5 men, had been hanged on Gallows Hills. Giles Corey was pressed to death, and at least 5 of the accused died in jail. Even animals fell victim to the mass hysteria, with colonists in Andover and Salem Village killing two dogs believed to be linked to the devil. Oh my god. What, what what did they what, what? like the, it was it was barking too much like what what's the what's the grounds <laughs> well if the devil is there that dog was trying to warn you so oh you're right yeah. oh my god so they screwed themselves jesus <laughs> i want to list all of the victims oh, yeah. so um those who were executed by hanging were bridget bishop sarah good rebecca nurse elizabeth howe Susanna Martin, Sarah Wilds, Reverend George Burroughs, George Jacobs Sr., Martha Carrier, John Proctor, Martha Corey, Mary Eastie, Mary Parker, Alice Parker, Anne Pudiator, Wilmot Red, Margaret Scott, and Samuel Wardwell Sr. Giles Corey was pressed to death, and Anne Foster, Sarah Osborne, Lydia Dustin, Mercy, who was the infant daughter of Sarah Good and Roger Toothaker, were um, they passed away in prison, um, and that was the complete list of all of the victims of the Salem witch trials. And now I'm going to get into the aftermath. In the years following the trials and executions, some involved, like Judge Samuel Sewell and accuser Ann Putnam, publicly confessed error and guilt. A little too late, huh? <sighs> On January 14th, 1697, Massachusetts General Court ordered a day of fasting and soul-searching over the tragedy of Salem. In 1702, the court declared the trials unlawful, and in 1711, the colony passed a bill restoring the rights and good names of many of the accused, as well as granting a total of 600 pounds in restitution to their heirs. 
pounds. Cause, oh, yeah, because yeah, because okay. they were not yeah, yeah. they were not America yet, so right. they had still had pounds. Wait a minute. <laughs> um, <laughs> At the 300th anniversary events in 1992 to commemorate the victims of the trials, a park was dedicated in Salem and a memorial in Danvers. It wasn't until 1957, more than 250 years later, that Massachusetts formally apologized for the events of 1692. An act was passed by the Massachusetts legislature absolving six people, while another one passed in 2001 absolved five other victims. As As of 2004... There was still talk about exonerating all of the victims, though some think that happened in the 18th century as the Massachusetts colonial legislature was asked to reverse the attainders of, quote, George Burroughs and others. (laughs) Um, And finally, only last year, on May 26th, 2022, Elizabeth Johnson, who was left out of the 1957 resolution for reasons unknown, received an official pardon after a successful lobbying campaign by a class of eighth grade civic students. Oh, these kids. But like, why did it take yeah, that no, long that, to exonerate these that people? That was my question as well. And why? Like they had to keep going back like every few decades and be like, wait, what about her? What about her? Yeah. What about them? That is very bizarre to me. I have to wonder, because um, you said the first, like, wave happened in the 50s? Um, of exonerations? Yeah. Uh, I think, the ofi- like, the official legislative exonerations, yes. But there was, like, in the 1700s was oh, when they were okay. restoring the rights. So, basically, an attainder, I learned, was basically after you're accused of a crime, mm-hmm. you lose the rights to, like, basically, you're a stain on society. Yeah. And, like, you can't get anything out mm-hmm. of it, basically. And so, when they remove that you're accepted back into society and you can live your life. Um, And that's kind of what they did in the 1700s and gave the restitution to Mm -hmm. heirs and stuff. But like the official legislative exonerations didn't happen until the 50s. That's crazy. Well, I guess maybe they just figure like, why would we need to do this? It was so long ago. And maybe there was like public outcry. And like all of them, they're like probably like, oh, they're dead. So like, who cares? But like, it's the principle. Yeah. Wow. Um, Yeah. Um, So... I Google image search pressed to death. Why? <laughs> I needed to know. Well, I was. I'm. Are you gonna talk about it? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Um, since you really want to know all of the gritty details about it, why not? <laughs> <laughs> now I'm going to be talking about the top ten haunted locations in Salem, which I got from an article from SalemGhosts.com. Nice. Um, How old is that website? Does it look really old? Um, I'm pretty sure. Let's see what. Okay, oh, it looks. It <laughs> It definitely has like early 2000s yeah. website. Um, yeah. And it also doesn't say what year this. I love it, though. It doesn't say what year this um article was written. So that's fun. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> that's where I got this list from. Um, and one of these locations is linked to the pressing to death so i'll get into that then nice (laughs) but number 10 is in a pig's eye which is now a popular restaurant um which was once located in the heart of salem's seedy underbelly many taverns brothels and underground tunnels stood in this area of the town and it's believed that sea captains docking at the nearby derby wharf would kidnap unsuspecting young men from the area and force them into service aboard their ships The restaurant is believed to be haunted by the spirits of several sailors who either died at sea or were killed while on shore in Salem. And many believe or and many people have reported hearing disembodied voices or seeing shadow figures flit through the restaurant. Ooh. So 
we know we don't like shadow figures. No, we do not, Abigail. Um, number nine is Wicked Good Books. Ooh. It's a haunted bookstore. I want to go there. Like in a pig's eye, Wicked Good Books is located above some of the century's old tunnels, which crisscross the length of Salem. The owner of the establishment came upon the tunnels while renovating the site. Oh, that would be so creepy. I know. Like you're doing construction. You're like, what the fuck is this? Well, that's like how they discovered the tunnels in Edinburgh. The guy yeah. was, um, I forget what he was doing, but he like discovered all these holes in the ground. Yeah. Wasn't mm. he like going like, wasn't he like going into a cave or something? I think he was, I think he was trying to investigate, was it under the castle maybe? Oh. Um, and then he discovered this entire network of tunnels. Oh my God. Yeah. Tunnels are very terrifying. Yeah. I would not want to encounter oh, dark a surprise tunnel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so when he was renovating the site, paranormal investigators discovered desecrated human remains in the hidden tunnels beneath the shop does so does desecrated mean like it's kind just of like like, it, like disrespectfully like no desecrated at or? least <laughs> i i uh, base a lot of my knowledge about things off of vampire <laughs> and in desecrated it's almost like like if um like if a vampire becomes desecrated it means they're kind of mummified Oh, yeah. Okay. I always thought desecrated meant like disrespectfully. I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. But I'm also like, I don't know how viable my knowledge from Vampire Diaries is. I feel like it's definitely (laughs) a documentary. (laughs) Yes. Um, So they found these hidden remains, right? And it's been reported that books often fly off the shelves of their own accord. And in many patron... And many patrons of the shop have seen shadow figures, again, and apparitions hovering in the corners. The store has found the silver lining in the hauntings, though, and has made a name for itself as Salem's haunted bookstore. So they're marketing. Yeah, that's, that's smart. Yes. You have to market off of that if you're in Salem. Like, Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, number eight is the Hawthorne Hotel. Built in 1923, the Hawthorne Hotel is one of the comparatively newer haunts in Salem. It's believed that the hotel is built on the site of an apple orchard that was owned by Bridget Bishop, who, if you remember, was the first victim of the witch trials. She was the first one hung in the gallows. Yeah. Guests have often reported smelling apples around the hotel, as well as seeing an apparition of a woman roaming the halls. Room 612 is believed to be the most haunted room in the hotel, and many guests have reported seeing the figure of a woman standing outside the door. Room 325 is also considered to be one of the hotel's paranormal hotspots, with reports of faucets turning on by themselves, lights flickering, and the sound of a baby crying being heard. Employees and guests of the hotel believe Bridget Bishop is the source of these paranormal encounters. Wow. Ooh, the smell of apples would be really creepy. Yeah, I mean, like, I'd be like, it smells so good, that? but then you'd be I like, oh, and you're like, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Okay, number seven is the Lyceum. The Salem Lyceum was established in 1830 as one of many similar institutions in the country designed to deliver lectures, debates, and seminars to the public. The Lyceum is now known as Turner's Seafood, but for many decades, the site played host to dozens of famous speakers and intellectuals, including Ralph Waldo Emerson, John Quincy Adams, and Frederick Douglass. And Alexander Graham Bell even first demonstrated the use of the telephone at the Salem Lyceum in 1877. Many believe the Lyceum is haunted by the spirit of Bridget Bishop. Damn, she hops around. While others think the apparition is that of another quote-unquote witch who was hanged during the trials, poltergeist activity has been reported in the building, and employees have witnessed boxes being thrown, objects flying off shelves, and having the feeling of being pushed or touched by an unseen entity. That is a very active poltergeist. Oh, my God. Damn. 
I don't know that I could work in a place that was haunted. Actually, I, I think, know, and I couldn't. I think, what? I, I know, <laughs> you know, and you I couldn't. couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like if it was somewhere where the spirit was, like, friendly, or if, like, the haunted encounters were, like, lights flickering on and off, or, like, even cold spots, maybe, I think it would be okay. But if oh, it's a poltergeist... If it's a poltergeist... I think I'd level just be activity. I think I'd just be constantly afraid that things would escalate. So, like... Yeah. And also, I think sometimes the the small or the subtle things would almost be scarier. scarier. Because, well, that makes you question it even more. You're like, mm-hmm. wait, did that just happen? Or, like, did somebody just come and turn that on? Yeah. But then, like, my worst fear would be seeing an apparition, I think. Because then oh. it's like, ooh, I really did just see that. And yeah. it, they're not here. They're not physically here. Like I know. Ooh, it's like the meeting of the planes. Oh, my God. I have crazy eyes right now. <laughs> you really did. <laughs> oh my God. Crazy eyes uh, like the hairy man. <laughs> I'm Bigfoot. Surprise. <laughs> Even though I did shave my legs yesterday. And you so. have small feet. <laughs> I do. I'm, remember I used to call you Sasquatch? hairless, small foot. Um, yeah, I remember that. And then you said I had small teeth. Big feet, small teeth. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, <laughs> continuing down the list. Uh, the sixth most haunted place in Salem is the Salem Jail. The historic Salem Jail housed prisoners for almost 200 years, operating from its construction in 1813 until its abandonment in 1991. The old building stood vacant for several decades before plans were made for it to be renovated and converted into apartments, a restaurant space, and an exhibit on the jail's history. Can it be all three, or was that over those, like, ideas for what they wanted to do with <laughs> like, the space? Damn, really? Like, yes, I live in an apartment, but I also live above a restaurant and a jail museum. That'd be kind of cool, though, honestly. I would absolutely not want to live in a former jail. <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> I would use the restaurant. Like, um, what's the Lorton Prison? Yes. Have they converted it yet, or is it still kind I, of abandoned? I thought they um, were. They had converted it into artist spaces. So they've already done that? I think so, Yeah. Okay, well, because like, when we went when we went a few years ago for that drive-through mm-hmm. haunted drive-through thing, yeah, were they converted yet? Because it they felt were, very were, much there still were like a, a few spaces that had been converted. I don't okay. know. I'm assuming maybe by this point they've like finished the project. Could you imagine though, like you're just chilling at home and you look out your window and you're just seeing all these people in crazy Halloween costumes and like driving, <laughs> <laughs> like what the fuck is going on? Um, okay, so although the Salem Jail was created long after the witch trials. It's said that the structure was built on the same site as the dungeon where, quote-unquote, witches were once held. The old Salem jailhouse held prisoners in appalling conditions with dirt floors, lice-ridden bedding, and freezing winter conditions. Now, as your resident lice expert, (laughs) it's actually impossible for lice to survive on bedding, maybe, like they have to be on heads. Maybe it was bed bugs, but they saw, yeah, thought like it bed was bugs lice. or fleas or something. Yeah, something that's gonna make you itch. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, many prisoners died from illness or injuries sustained while in detention. Though the Salem jail of today houses residents of a different kind, um, it's certain the negative energies accumulated over the centuries have contributed to the rumors of apparitions, cold spots, and poltergeist activity in the building. Ugh. Number five is Proctor's Ledge. Because of the difficulty of interpreting historical texts and records, there has been some contention as to the exact location of the infamous hangings of the Salem Witch Trials. However, thanks to the efforts of a this, this source called it a local historical society, the mm-hmm. true location of the gallows has been determined to be Proctor's Ledge, a small hill between Proctor Street and Pope Street in Salem. 
But interestingly, according to Wikipedia, which we have dubbed as very reliable, (laughs) in January 2016, the University of Virginia announced its Gallows Hill Project team had determined the execution site in Salem where the 19 quote-unquote witches had been hanged. So UVA is the one who found it, not a local historical society. (laughs) Wow. Okay, UVA. Which um, UVA is not really local to Salem. No. (laughs) Very interesting. And I'm wondering, like, who approved that as a project? I mean, great. Like, it's very important that they found that site. But (laughs) I want to know how that came to be. Anyway. The city dedicated the Proctor's Ledge Memorial to the victims there in 2017. Proctor's Ledge was not only the site of many horrific executions, but also served as the unceremonious dumping grounds of many quote-unquote witches' bodies. Many of the accused had their corpses thrown in a crevice near the gallows rather than being properly buried because, as one report claimed, quote, to touch a witch corpse was malignant. So sad. Witches or not, Proctor's Ledge has an undoubtedly dark energy from the injustice and atrocities committed there centuries ago. That's awful. Yeah. Number four is Turner Ingersoll Mansion, the inspiration for Nathaniel Hawthorne's famous novel, The House of Seven Gables. Have you read it? No. Have you? No, but I mean, I'm not the English major. I did not read that (laughs) book. (laughs) Um, But I have seen pictures of the Seven Gables house and it is gorgeous. And of Green Gables, which I also didn't read. I don't... Did he write that one? I don't don't think so. (laughs) I know, he wrote wrote The House of Seven Gables, all right. Um, The Turner Ingersoll Mansion, or the Turner House, is one of the oldest and most famous homes in New England. And it's also like a Blackwood house. Yeah. Um, The original structure was built in 1668 by Sea Captain John Turner, and through the years, the house was expanded and added onto until it became the stately seven-gabled mansion Hawthorne immortalized. Captain Turner died at sea not long after building the home, which was a common fate for many seafaring Salem men at the time. However, the Turner family seemed to be cursed with misfortune, and the mansion stood witness to several more family deaths over the years. Perhaps this grim history explains why the mansion is believed to be so haunted. Visitors to the home have reported witnessing several apparitions, including a little boy in the attic and a oh. woman. <laughs> yeah, fuck that. And a woman thought to be a member of the Ingersoll family who took ownership of the house after it passed out of the Turner's hands. Oh. Like a little boy ghost in the attic. Oh, I'm already scared of my parents' attic, which we have to go up to every year to get all the Christmas decorations down. And it's terrifying up there. Remember when in our second house, which I never witnessed this, but you found old mattresses. That attic was in the attic. Not only was there like a bajillion old mattresses in there, there was like so much like clay pottery in there too. And like ceramics. How big was it? Like it was really big. Like the size of multiple rooms. Probably the size of my living room. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, big enough to hold a bajillion mattresses in there. Did it feel really creepy, or was it just like, this is um, weird? It had a lot more light in there than my parents' attic does. Yeah. Like, I, it was mostly wooden. Like, it didn't have a whole lot of, like, um, insulation. Mm-hmm. So, like, light was coming into it. But, yeah. Oh, it was it was creepy up there. Um, okay. So, the third most haunted place in Salem is the Old Burying Point Cemetery. As with any cemetery, the Old Burying Point Cemetery is said to be home to many different spirits. Established in 1637, it's the oldest cemetery in Salem, as well as one of the oldest in the country. Many important city figures are buried here, but perhaps most auspicious is Judge John Hawthorne, also known as the Hanging Judge. That's what people started calling him, so. Yeah. Not the best. Um, 
Hawthorne presided over many of the witch trials and was known to be a cruel, unforgiving judge who sent most of his cases to the gallows, guilty or not. And then uh, I, I put in, put in uh, parentheses, a.k.a. a woman hater. Uh, um, it's said the spirit of Hawthorne often makes appearances in the old Bearing Point Cemetery, and many visitors to the site have captured a shadowy figure on camera near the judge's 300-year-old grave. Oh, wow. As the author Nathaniel Hawthorne, who was the great-great-grandson of John Hawthorne, oh. said of the hanging judge, quote, he made himself so conspicuous in the martyrdom of witches that their blood may fairly be said to have left a stain on him. Wow. Unquote. Yeah. Okay, number two is the witch house. Also known as the Corwin House, the structure is the only remaining building in Salem with direct ties to the witch trials. The house originally belonged to Judge Jonathan Corwin, a judge who served on the court which sentenced 19 people to death by hanging for witchcraft. The house stood for almost 400 years and is now open to the public as a museum. Many people believe that because of Corwin's involvement with the witch trials, the home is haunted by the spirits of the people he sentenced to death. Others claim Corwin himself haunts the home in addition to four of his children who died early in life within the house. And visitors to the site have captured strange figures on film as well as reporting cold spots and strange presen- presences. Which is like, what, a, what is a strange presence? That could be a lot of things. I feel like maybe it's like when you get a feeling that something like, is behind ooh, you. And ooh, or like in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> like, like what dogs and cats can sense. Yes, exactly. Um, okay. We're at number one. Is it the crushing? It's the, cr- <laughs> it's the crushing, yes. Um, number one, most haunted location in Salem according to SalemGhosts.com, is the Joshua Ward House. This stately manor is thought to be the most haunted home in Salem. The house was built on the footprint of the home owned by George Corman, who was the nephew of the Judge Jonathan Corman. Everybody, like... It's all very... It's all very familial. Yes. Um, A malicious sheriff who tortured victims of the witch trials and who is thought to still haunt the site. So, like, that would be a very, very malevolent force in that house. Yeah. Um, Among Corwin's more horrific deeds was the supervision of the pressing of Giles Corey, um, an an 81-year-old man who was accused of witchcraft. No. Corey suffocated as his rib rib cage and organs were slowly compressed, and some legends claim that with his final breath, he cursed Corwin and the town of Salem. Though the Joshua Ward house is thoroughly entrenched in legend and superstition, many believe that Giles Corey's curse condemned Sheriff Corwin's spirit to wander the earth for eternity, and in the basement of the home, many visitors have experienced feeling choked by an <gasps> unseen force. Ooh. Oh, that's so awful. Crazy, terrible, horrible, tragic shit happened in the 1600s in this town. So, to conclude, there's no doubt that Salem has been irrevocably marked by the witch trials that took place more than 300 years ago. Mass hysteria led to the persecution of mostly women, but overall just people who were seen as different, who questioned society or their religion, or who, who just seemed like an easy target for the cruel prejudiced leader of, leaders of the time. These hauntings, whether truly spectral or simply the overwhelming negative energy that can't be unfelt, along with the public's enduring enthrallment with the 17th century hysteria, won't let us forget what happened to these poor unfortunate souls but as they say those who forget their history are condemned to repeat it and that is the truly tragic story of the salem witch trials and the hauntings that take place in salem today that was so interesting and now i really want to like read more like read books on yeah. that time period mm-hmm. i also i never saw the witch oh 
I I was thinking about that throughout the entire telling of that story. I was like, yes, we still need to watch that because... Have you seen it? I have seen it. And for some reason, I don't know why I didn't like it when I first watched it. But now, like, looking back, I'm like, you know what? Actually, that was a freaking fantastic movie. And I want to watch it again so I can thoroughly enjoy it this time around. Okay, sweet. We'll watch it. Yeah. Um, That was so interesting. And just, like sad it was very sad just, I feel like that's the only word I mean not the only word but I just think of it and you feel so sad for these women and these like young girls and I know it's just very sad and scary it's very scary to think that that can happen in in society mm-hmm. and it was also like when that society was like first forming and like everything was still fragile and like yeah every part of it is scary the the men at the top you know sort of orchestrating all the hysteria mm-hmm. and then how scary it must be to i don't know if you're like to be a, a a husband and your wife is accused of witchcraft and like you you know you believe that she's innocent but a part of you is like well i don't really know because i'm all the church leaders are saying that this is a real thing and like what if my wife is possessed by the devil and, i like, know just, you, you i can't, know yeah it's human minds are very easily swayed which yeah. is scary and we're kind of seeing it happen all around us. Yeah. <laughs> Terrifying. But yeah, that was my story for the week. Guess that brings us to our paranormal protection tip of the week. Okay, so this week I'm going to be talking to you guys about wearing silver mercury dimes. And I learned this little trick um, from the Invoking Witchcraft podcast that I've been listening to. Um, because one of the hosts, Britain, they wear their mercury dime around their neck. Um, it's usually worn around the ankle, or it has been historically, um, and can be used for foot track magic. You can also wear it wherever you want as a form of protection. Not only can it be used as a passive protection totem, but it will also actively notify you if you were target were the target of a hex or overall negative energy, because if you step in or pass through sulfur, the dime will turn black. Ooh which is uh, quite creepy. Well, just note that if you ever wear one and go to Yellowstone, you're yeah. not being hexed. Well, that's, that's the thing is like <laughs> it will it will be more of a indicator if you were somewhere where sulfur is yeah, not presently exactly. being active in the environment. You know, like if you're at Yellowstone or another <laughs> hot spring or something where sulfur is commonly present. <laughs> um, so, yeah, protect yourself. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. Um, you can follow us on Instagram and TikTok at DFWG Podcast. And um, you can also join our Patreon at patreon.com slash DFWG Podcast. Um, shout out and thank you so much to our patrons, Brittany, Nikki, Jeremiah, and Katie. You can send in your encounters like Abigail did to our email at dfwgpodcast at gmail.com. And if you haven't already, please take some time, if you have it, to rate and review us on Spotify and Apple. It really helps propel our podcast to other potential listeners and really helps us out. Um, so yeah. And remember to ward away the bad juju. And always stay away from Ouija boards. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>